pod, the podcast is canceled. I, I should just cancel this episode because you sound terrible. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> uh, teacher, I asked you to him. get a sub. I asked you to get a sub. <laughs> teacher, please excuse him. Gregory Mantell is sick. I am. But like uh, Willis Reed at the end of the 1970 NBA championship, like uh, Michael Jordan in his flu game, I triumph over illness and injury. Like that tiny little gymnast in the 1984 Olympics? Mary Lou Retton. Mary Lou Retton. No, it wasn't Mary Lou Retton. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. It was Who's Mary Lou Retton? She won. She was a darling, but she didn't have that triumphant um, vault that you're thinking of where she landed on one leg. And No, that happened yeah. in the 80s. That was no, the 80s. No, that was 1996. No way. Nope. Gymnastics is perpetually in the 80s, fashion-wise. So okay. Oh, maybe that's why. Okay. <laughs> Were the TVs really that bad? I thought that was like at mm-hmm. least pre-HD era. Yep. Ugh, gross. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Time time is a flat circle, okay? And I'm sure if we just wait long enough, there's going to be a new Mary Lou Retton next Olympics. So that, There already uh, is, John. Gabby Giffords. <laughs> Gabby, no. Allie Reisman. That's the one everyone cares about, Greg. No, she's unlike uh, Gabby Gifford. She doesn't do well. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Okay, she's Nita Massachusetts' sweetheart. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I used to work in face. Just that crooked, <laughs> crooked pout <laughs> that she's famous for. I worked. I worked in Nita Massachusetts in 2012 when she kind of hit the stage and it was just like everything in town was like Allie Reisman, Allie Reisman. Mm-hmm. She's our hometown gal. Indeed, just like Nancy Kerrigan, the pride of Stoneham, Massachusetts. Mm, All the yes. best things come out of Massachusetts. Every great person. Yes, except for the two turds you're listening to. <laughs> How dare you, Greg? We are the hosts of the Aspiring Snobs podcast. I am John. This is Greg, who sounds terrible. Yeah, at least uh, at least for one episode, you'll be able to distinguish our voices. <laughs> <laughs> they can distinguish them by our by our unique patter, Greg. I think we That's have very dis- unique. Uh, speaking styles. Yeah. Speaking speaking of which, I should also explain this chest cough is also one of the great things to come out of Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, you just came home for the holidays. Look at you. I know. Boston's John, favorite son. Let's have a running diary of what we did for the holidays. No, we don't need to do that. <laughs> All right. Fine. I'll tell you what we are doing, and it's apropos for the movie about a movie about disability and illness and. Uh, <laughs> And personal struggle. Yes, Greg really connected with this film this week because mm-hmm. in anticipation of the new movie coming out, The Upside, we watched the original, the movie at which it is a remake of The Untouchables. Les Intouchables. Can you hear the people sing, <laughs> singing the songs of untouchable men? Um, what, do, Why isn't this movie a musical? Exactly. Greg, Broadway is coming and knocking. I guarantee you in five oh, yeah. years, in five years, we're going to see a, a musical adaptation of this. Come on, they already did Frozen. I thought like Frozen would have to be at least ten years. They could barely wait like five. Mm. 
Well, I mean, what other you know properties does Disney have that they could possibly <laughs> adapt to the adapt to the stage or into crappy live action remakes? I mean, come I on. mean, but that was that was my problem when I originally watched Frozen back in the theaters. I was like, this just feels hmm. like tailor made to be adapted into a Broadway musical. Like I could mm. feel it already. I was like, "Oh, they're just this is just pure brand extension." Good job, Disney. Good job. Bravo to you. How soon? How soon do we have to wait until this is, you know, the biggest ticket on Broadway? And lo and behold, that was last year. So, mm. good for them, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. It seems like we want to talk to, talk about anything but the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, first question, why is it called The Untouchables? That's a great that's a great question. One which the movie does not address. Mm-hmm. I think we should address our criteria for choosing movies. I mean, cuz it's not just topical on what's coming out, but also kind of reputation a movie has. Exactly. Whether it uh, whether that's a uh, critical accolades or awards like Oscars, Golden Globes, things like that. Uh, the Untouchables has none of that. <laughs> oh, 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 contraire, Greg Mantel. That was yeah. French right there. Yeah. Um, it is currently number 40 on the top 250 IMDb list, I believe. Indeed it was, and it's one of the biggest hits to ever hit Europe in the, in this decade. So mm-hmm. it, It's it's one of the highest grossing movies in Germany, of all mm-hmm. places, even though it's yeah. a French film. <laughs> well, they love the scene that takes place in Switzerland when they're paragliding or whatever. Oh, okay. Got <laughs> holding it, got on to GoPros. <laughs> that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think the other reason why uh, we should bring this up is not just the remake, but also the original was brought to America by... One, you know, strapping young producer. Let's call him Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> no, let's call him uh, Harvey W. No, oh, or okay. H. Weinstein. Yeah, <laughs> okay, H. Weinstein. <laughs> and uh, he was also the producer on the remake. Hence, why the remake is being dumped in January to little mm-hmm. to no affair. Although I am seeing it all over social media. They're they're really mm-hmm. bombarding me with those promotional advertisements. So okay. Yes, the upside starring Kevin Hart. <laughs> Also someone who's had no issues with their past or things that they've said. So, Yeah, thank God for Omar Sy. <laughs> Omar Sy's the best. Yeah, Greg, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I thought it was the most tasteful adaptation of the 2003 American comedy, Bringing Down the House, that could have ever been done. And this is a movie, I, I can understand like why it's a hit, and maybe my year dad said, like, oh, you know what movie I saw? It's a French movie. I, I know, surprising. It's called The Untouchables. It's really... It's really like a tastefully done movie for baby boomers. Mm-hmm. We should explain that it's based on a true story of a hugely successful hotelier um, gets into an accident and becomes a quadriplegic and needs somebody to assist him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he finds an unlikely assistant and friend in a North African refugee who, who uh, emigrated to France. Yeah. Oh, and you wouldn't believe the culture clash between these two. <laughs> exactly. And then, so basically it's adapted somewhat... Um, the two filmmakers behind this movie, they wanted to cast their friend and uh, former collaborator, Omar Sy, instead, who's, who's I believe, originally from Western Africa. So mm-hmm. the movie, instead of featuring an easily exploited uh, refugee from a former <laughs> French colony from Northern Africa, now features an easily exploited uh, former refu- refugee from a former French colony in West Africa. So yes. there's that. <laughs> They also hit to find a point that obviously he's African, so therefore he lives in the ghetto and struggles to get by and has to live on government assistance. Well, John, some things don't change across the pond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the exploitation of colonialism and the horrible legacy of slavery. Um, mm, yes. <laughs> it's all Western nations. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's done in a very... In, in spite of it, how tasteful it is, it's it's still pretty obvious about the, hey, uh, this black character likes uh, R&B, whereas this uh, fancy <laughs> hotelier likes classical. Like, yes. oh, he's not doing anything properly. 
He's so uncouth. Yeah. How will they ever get along? Yeah, he insists on dancing at a birthday party. <laughs> Whereas he would rather just sit and listen to the string quartet. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he has to sit. He has no other choice. But... Yeah. <laughs> And, and obviously he's a little he's a little depressed about his current condition. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, this character is here to cheer him up. So it's it's very obvious in that. Uh, I will say, and I wish it, even though this movie's a comedy, it's it's very droll. Mm-hmm. Um, apropos being French, <laughs> but yeah, none of it really made me guffaw. No. And yeah, I just couldn't square. Like I can understand why it's a hit, but I can also understand why it hasn't received the accolades. And I can't quite square. What the heck is IMDb thinking? This is the 40th greatest movie of all time. I have no idea. I mean, the movie is not bad, but it's like the highest praise I can give it is. It's fine. It's fine. Mm. There's nothing spectacular about it. It just kind of like sits there, and it happens in front of your eyeballs. Mm. And it's handsomely made, and the performances are good. I mean. Uh, Omar Sy is a great performer. I didn't particularly like him in this role because I had, I again, like you said, mm. it's like his japery just didn't get me at all. Like get to me at all. Like I didn't, you know, even though he tries his hardest to make the actor or the character charismatic, like I didn't find him humorous whatsoever. And the little interactions with him, I just felt completely flat. Like why? I I never understood why the quadriplegic the quadriplegic character whose name is Philippe, like mm. why Philippe saw so much potential in him or something like it just kind of like happens because it's like oh well there wouldn't be a movie otherwise yeah (laughs) um it kind of implies that philippe like kind of is tired of being like doted on or kind of treated as like a victim and yeah uh, um only one friend there is that scene where a friend has to take him aside like how could how could you possibly uh, take in this uncouth uh hooligan into your house exactly Um, now granted this scene's more tastefully done like you know the the american version he would be a very stiff upper lip and be pushed into a pool at the end of the scene Instead, they're just instead here. They're just sitting down in a cafe. Yeah. Um, the character of Driss, played by Omar Sy, is like outside. I can't remember why, but yeah, he's smoking. Like he's smoking. Oh, smoking. That's why. Yeah. Um, but again, you see that disconnect there. Mm-hmm. And instead, he puts a he puts a smiling face on it, like, uh, "Hey, Philippe, what, what what are you doing? What's this about?" And yeah, um, like, "Hey, let's chat. We're just old friends. We're old buddies. Like, you realize you can't let them into the house, right? They're gonna steal all your stuff." Um, so it's very broad in that kind of general yeah. But sense he also too. explains like, I, I I've already felt enough pity mm-hmm. and it's clear that what Driss provides is not only a vivacity to the house mm-hmm. um this very this huge mansion in, in the middle of paris that is, is obviously very staid and clean and quiet um mm-hmm. but also that um he's he doesn't treat him as as like a, a victim mm-hmm. that's true he, he he gives him a hard time you know mm-hmm. he obviously helps him out but he'll clearly like joke with him uh, i guess the closest kind of scene i got the most amusement out of is when uh, it comes time to shave him. Omar needs mm. to shave, or Driss needs to shave Philippe, and so he's just messing with him by giving him more and more ridiculous kind of facial <laughs> hair. <laughs> like, he makes him, like, a Western mutton chops and things like that. Like, and again, like, he's kind of completely at uh, Driss's beck and call. Like, Driss is kind of in control of the situation, but it's, even though he does take advantage of it, it's kind of, you know, humorous in a way, and I, but, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, Let's hope, yeah. Non, vous allez voir, c'est bien, regardez. Viens, mon grand-père. C'est vrai Ah, oh, Philippe, cette moustache, je sais pas ce que ça me fait. Ça me... Ça me... Ça me... <rire> bon, on arrête, je reste tout là. Merci. Très bien. Ah non, non. Ah non, ça, c'est pas drôle. Non, non, non. Non. Nein. C'est ça que vous voulez dire Non, je suis pas d'accord. Philippe, trop l'air 
gros colère, Philippe. Il devenir votre joueur. C'est tout fou, allez, je vais finir dans un asile. Ça vous donne pas envie d'envahir des pays comme ça, là Bon, ce qui serait mieux, c'est de donner encore un tout petit coup de rasoir. Hein. <rire> ça vous fait rire, moi. Bah, quand même, ce que je pense au tétra-nazi, c'est de être bizarre pour faire le salut nazi, là, comme ça. <rire> <laughs> like, yeah. well, I'm glad the, I'm glad you brought up that scene because yeah. that happens at the very end when they're like well-established friends and now very familiar with one another. Mm-hmm. But I think the other issue that we have with the movie is like, okay, how does this how does this friendship establish itself in the less obvious ways? Mm-hmm. Like, what do the characters go through? Mm-hmm. And the answer is not very much. <laughs> no, not at all. There's no like texture to this movie. It's like everything mm-hmm. is kind of very. Um, contrived, and every scene focuses on these two relationships. There's nothing really outside of what happens between them. Like, obviously both have their own little family dramas that they're dealing with, but they don't really intersect, and they're resolved like that. You know, it's uh, one of the big ones that always bothered me is, like, Philippe's daughter, his adopted daughter. You know, oh, she's a bad girl. She's dressing like a tramp. (laughs) She's dating someone who's clearly below her her quality of life. Um, And eventually he breaks up with her, and she cries, and it's like Driss offers to help. For money, of course, because, you know, men gotta get paid. Um, And it resolves itself, and it's just so obvious. It's so broad. It's so, like crowd pleasing and it's only in two scenes yeah yeah and then you have all his family drama you know his 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 whole family made no sense to me so it's like it's not his mom he's living with initially it's no he he explains that he lives with his aunt uh he Mm -hmm. was adopted from senegal Mm -hmm. to live in france but then his aunt started to have a number of biological kids which they weren't expecting yeah So so now it's like he has uh six like extremely much younger siblings Exactly, and he, he including kind of takes... one John who's in a gang. I know. <laughs> when you talk drugs. about texture, yeah. When you talk about texture, like it's like none of these none of these issues are explained. Like uh, Driss uh, tells Philippe, like you got to discipline your daughter. Um, <laughs> the catalyst for that is there's one scene where she comes into his room and asks for like gum or a cigarette or something. <laughs> Like it's not serious or or nothing that where you would say to like another character like you have to discipline your daughter. It's the same mm-hmm. thing here. It's like, uh, oh my adoptive younger brother is getting into trouble. What does that mean? Oh, he goes into a car sometimes and gets driven around town, <laughs> but still comes home at the end of the day. Like what 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 does it mean? <laughs> well, no no no. That that comes to a head when he comes to Driss for rescue mm. because he's been punched. He's gotten into ah. a fight like these ruffians do, these ne'er-do-wells. You know, oh, won't someone please think of the children? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's apparently also the catalyst to why, obviously this is supposed to be a three-act structure, so at the, at the, sec- at the end of the second act, Driss has to, for some reason, leave the house. And, you know, they have to reconcile eventually. And what I do want to appreciate is that it's not a big dramatic blow-up moment, mm. at least not, uh, you know, in the, in the final kind of consequence of it all, because once his kind of younger nephew or whatever kind of comes to his aid it's Philippe who's not like you know you're out of here or there's no misunderstanding where it's like you get out of here it's like you can't you can't be taking care of an invalid for the rest of your life you have enough kind of family problems you've been paid we've sold this painting of yours you've got mm-hmm. some money like why don't you go off and take care of but because of that Philippe obviously loses his his vitality he loses his lust for life <laughs> after Driss is gone so yeah. I do kind of appreciate that that it didn't turn into like a big blow up moment or a misunderstanding and they yeah. have to like you know reconcile or something like that 
Yeah, let's commend the movie for, I compared it to that classic 2003 comedy starring Steve Martin and Queen Latifah bringing down the house. <laughs> Greg's favorite movie. Yeah, exactly. None of it is as broad as that. Like uh, like I mentioned the scene where uh, Omar Sy's character wants to get everyone dancing at the at the birthday party. Mm-hmm. It's not played as broadly as like, uh, come on, Grandpa. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> Uh, and same with those scenes. They're not histrionic. They, they don't all devolve into screaming matches when he says, like, you have to discipline your daughter. Or, you know, the daughter mm-hmm. screams, like, I'm pregnant. Like, that doesn't happen. None of that exactly, you know, ridiculousness yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the issue with that is the rest of it feels like a flat line. Mm-hmm. And if the story is not going to, like, hit those really dramatic beats, like, say, God forbid, Driss loses uh, a member of his adoptive family or mm-hmm. uh, Philippe's daughter does become uh, pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's nothing, like, really dramatic in, to say that makes the wor- story worth telling. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is nice. It's I'm glad that it's a, a true friendship that's developed between these two, but... <laughs> I gotta say, the stakes of being, like, are you gonna meet your pen pal? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's all. Didn't Gosh, exactly that. draw me in. Let's your classics, let's listen to the miens. on Fire, we've already talked about it. Listen, it's a tuerie. So, it's a tuerie, Yeah, I, I would say like okay. So what's the na- main crux of the story other than this, other than this friendship? And what it really is is uh, Philippe getting over the death of his wife and establishing a new relationship with a woman in Dunkirk, mm-hmm. um, who he only knows by via written correspondence. Of course, and he writes a very flowery, you know, beautiful poetic letters. And Driss is like, get to the point. Ask her about her weight. You know, oh, it's, <laughs> the manners, the manners on this guy. <laughs> Well, I, I think we'll get to the culture clash moments later, and how, yeah, um, yes. and on a scale of how offensive they were. From uh, <laughs> oh, can we talk about the most problematic portion of it first? No, no, no. Let's talk about this this correspondence first. Oh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> because yeah, that's that's a culture clash there. Um, but what I didn't understand is, I guess, a, a huge downturn in the story is that he's going to meet this woman for the first time in person. Mm-hmm. Driss is not there, but his his other assistant Yvonne is. Mm-hmm. And when it appears that she stood him up, even though they've only waited, I mean, he's 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 agitated, he's nervous, he he doesn't want to meet in person anyway. But exactly the second the second that it looks like she stood him up, he he says, "No, let's get out of here." Okay. And of course, like that that leads. This happens about halfway through the story. So of course, where's the story? Where's the story really going to terminate? Um, Driss <laughs> takes him to the seaside. You know, tries to enliven, uh, you know, restore his joie de vivre, as it were. <laughs> And then finally set him up with the woman that he, you know, missed, that misconnection for via years, uh, months or years ago. Exactly. But here's the other kind of weird thing about that relationship. He's yeah. also trying to hide the fact that he's a quadriplegic. You know, he has an option mm. to send her a photo. He's got the picture of him in the wheelchair or he's got the picture of him pre-accident. What does he send? 
the one with the accident. And then when they finally do meet, it's not even brought up. Like, what, what, what was the resolution? Well, no, we don't even that? see the day. We just see the meeting. Exactly. So, but again, there, there could have been some great dramatic stakes there, right? You know, like, mm. Philippe, like being honest with himself and being vulnerable and being like, oh, by the way, I'm, quadri- I'm quadriplegic. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that, that also never gets resolved either. No, again, on, on a very surface level, we're just supposed to be happy that he's, that he's reconnected with this new love. Okay. No. Yeah, and we don't really raise any of those questions. Um, <laughs> same with the culture class questions. Like, uh, let's get to the most problematic portions of the movie. Because, um, again, we're talking about a movie about differences in class and race. So, of course, there's going to be capital P problems. Uh, and mine is with the assistant that he's hitting on. Yes. So Driss comes into the house and starts hitting on uh, one of her assistants uh, named Magalie. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a she's a redhead. She's not particularly mm-hmm. fiery, but you know she wear, she has some pretty voluptuous curves, shall we say? She's pretty young and petite. Mm-hmm. She's she's played by Nicole Kidman in the new movie. Mm-hmm. And to give uh, you an idea of what she looks like. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Driss is constantly hitting on her, and you know like he brings her into the room and shows her around. It's like, look at this bathtub. We could t- take a bath together. Like blah blah blah. Oh, oh, oh. oh his japery, his sexual harassment mm-hmm. is so hilarious. <laughs> John, it's France. It's a it's a different culture. Oh, okay, fine. And I can't imagine what Har- producer Harvey Weinstein would see and you know promote a movie like that. But <laughs> no, and here's the best part: she's not turning him down because she's not interested. No, the way it terminates. By oh, the John, end is... she's very not interested. <laughs> yeah, but there's a reason. There's a reason you may not expect. <laughs> Turns out she's a lesbian. Oh, <laughs> boy. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> So, fellas, take a hint, all right? If they're not interested, it's not because they're not interested. It's because mm-hmm. they're sexually unattracted to you. <laughs> so just keep trying. Yes. And I'm glad our classy French film can copy the same circumstances as the 2004 film Dodgeball, a true underdog story. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you were just bringing in the early odd films, like the classic yeah. comedy films of America. Yes. <laughs> so my Is that brain why stopped I... developing. I, I constantly live in the early 2000s. <laughs> oh, Okay. Is that why this was such a massive hit? Because it adapted, you know, the greatest genre pieces that we've known of this millennium into for an international audience? Probably. Um, okay. <laughs> I want to speak to the, also the generational divide. Mm-hmm. Because in terms of also culture clash, like there's really obvious ones. Like Philippe is a huge fan of classical music. His birthday mm-hmm. party, the the centerpiece of his birthday party is basically bringing an orchestra into his house to play like Vivaldi and all the other like mm-hmm. obvious a lot of Baroque <laughs> stuff. Classical. Yeah, yeah. He name drops uh, Berlioz when he talks about his love for French cl- or for mm-hmm. classical music, which obviously yes. they would pick Berlioz. Exactly. I knew I knew you would just despise that scene <laughs> because later they're trying to play all these like classical pieces and si- uh, and uh, Omar Sy's character is like I can't dance to that. Let me put on some Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> you know, I, which I just speaks to music. like yeah, which just speaks to this is a young uh, Frenchman. <laughs> Why is he like yeah? I love music like Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> It's like uh, trying to write a. It's like trying to write a twenty-five-year-old character today. <laughs> it's like I love video games. Let's play Pong. <laughs> I love the Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> um, I mean, I love Earth, Wind, and Fire, and I can kind of appreciate the fact that he would have kind of more of a, I don't know, like slightly kind of refined taste. But you're right; it obviously is designed to kind of appeal to baby boomers. So obviously, they would go yeah. from like the hits from the seventies. <laughs> um, there's that, and there's also the notion of Driss becoming an artist. Yeah, because there's another scene where uh, they're sitting in an art gallery, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Philippe wants to is obviously with his riches is also investing in art and mm-hmm. invests in a painting that just appears a modernist piece that just appears to be one splotch of red on a white canvas. <laughs> My kid could paint that oh. exactly, and of course, Driss being the uh, I guess audience surrogate or the uncouth one, just basically <laughs> saying it's just a it's just a splash of red on white. What's so big about that? And mm-hmm. so he's motivated to do some modern art himself, <laughs> which you think would be like a sign that oh he's becoming more cultured himself. Like obviously they're both having an effect on each other, but really it kind of comes down to like more of him as like a scam artist. Because he's like, look, not I, a scam artist. Yeah, it's. I think it's not identifying like Driss is becoming more cultured. It's more the oh, this modern art's a racket. Look, exactly, this idiot, this idiot <laughs> from the ghettos of Paris could paint something <laughs> worth over worth over ten thousand euro. Exactly, and it's like, and that's kind of insulting to the character. And it would have worked better if it was like, oh no, he finds you know some kind of self-expression in painting or something like mm-hmm. that. But no, it's just like he paints that one picture and sells it, and it's like, yippee. Great, good for him. <laughs> like yeah. he figured out the scam as well. Good job. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> it's not exactly rewarding. <laughs> no, and I think that's the real issue. Like yes, we have these little scenes and jokes that give us this liminal excitement, but none of it has any consequence. None of it like ties back <laughs> later. None of us. None of it challenges us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it challenges us. Like I guess, I guess the opera loving you know snobs in the crowd. <laughs> Have to be challenged, like, oh, maybe we'll take in a, a uh, maybe we'll take in a black uh, caretaker one day. <laughs> well, no, obviously you're right about the whole challenging thing is that the audience is supposed to, even though let's be honest, a majority of people enjoying this film are probably white. We're supposed to mm. identify more with the Driss character because he's of a lower class, and it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, oh they they discover that they're not so different. You know, it's like kind of what we were talking about with Green Book. That's, that's like this year's Untouchables. Yeah. Um, this whole idea that, you know, oh, the, you know, it's it's not just a divide against race. It's also about class. And and in most movies, they kind of meet in the middle. This one, I don't even know if they meet, period. They just kind of become <laughs> friends. <laughs> yeah, and maybe that's what we're supposed to take away from it. It's like an unlikely friendship. I mean, neither of them really changes that much. I mean, no. I suppose Phil, uh, Philippe give, gets back a joie de vivre mm-hmm. and Driss is exposed to things like opera, um, Paris gliding <laughs> overcomes his fear of flying and I don't know s'il vous plaît oui je prends des tartatins s'il vous plaît mais cuites parce qu'il y avait un problème avec le gâteau au chocolat il était cru tout moulant enfin moelleux c'est un petit peu le principe du mi-cuit Ah, c'est pour ça Oui. Ah, ben, je veux quand même prendre une tarte à tarte. J'ai toujours aimé la compétition. Les sports extrêmes, la vitesse. Aller plus vite, plus haut. Avec le parapente, j'avais tout. Je prenais de la hauteur, je voyais les choses d'en haut, puis je soufflais. Moi, j'ai été élevé dans l'idée qu'on pissait sur le monde. Mm-hmm. Je veux bien boire quelque chose parce que la bouche est un peu sèche. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what we were supposed to take away from this other than... You know, I guess laughs. It's just a feel-good story. Just makes it yeah. feel good. It's like hot chocolate, the movie. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Throw in no, some it would, have, it would have to be more French. Yeah, what's a, what's a Fren- French comfort food? Uh, they don't have mm. comfort food. They eat yeah. tiny little bites at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, ah, oh, this is our dinner. Mm. Give me a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we talk about... And that reminds me. Should we talk about the filmmaking at all? Sure, Because as not? we said... Yeah, because as we said... 
it's it's not exactly histrionic. I mean, mm-hmm. the the drama's never pitched to uh, eleven, nor are the laughs so broad that you roll your eyes. Yeah. Um, however, one other credit that they have is what keeps it uh, in- engaging somewhat is the editing. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to speak to a scene in which um, Philippe has a panic attack at night. Uh, Driss shows him, uh, lets him partake in some weed, and they cheat <laughs> that lound, and then go into a cafe at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And what could have been a very boring expository scene in which uh, Philippe just laments the loss of his wife, um, instead cut in a moment, they like fa- flash forward to Driss complaining about, it, or pretending to complain about a molten lava cake, saying, hey, you gave me an unfinished cake, give me a new dessert instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, uncouth. Um, yeah. You're absolutely right. The editing and the filmmaking on display is actually quite good. And I do love that the fact that it kind of starts in Medias Res. Like, we, we get the first scene of them driving together in yeah. his... Oh, um, it turns out to be in, in Terminus Res. <laughs> <laughs> that comes at the very end, it turns out. <laughs> I guess so. I, or before they they, t- they, sh- they soldier on to t- Dunkirk and, you know... Yeah. <laughs> to and war, get, George. <laughs> and, get that, and get that zeal for life back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, the editing is actually quite good. I'm glad you mentioned that because you know I I think the filmmaking on display obviously helps, even though the story is tired and dreary. Um, I do yeah. appreciate the filmmaking on display. I also love the score by uh, Ludovico Einaldi, I believe. I don't uh, yeah, no, I'm familiar with him, and yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not a big fan of his, but you know what? There's enough classical music in Earth, Wind, and Fire to make up for it. So yeah. that's the thing. I love classical music, and I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. I should have loved this movie. Okay. But yeah. Well, I think it's because. Because you and I are too savvy, and although the show is called Aspiring Snobs, we're, we've already reached snobdom to I guess some that's extent. True. That's true. <laughs> so, like, we know we know all the tropes of this kind of movie. I mean, we literally just saw one a month ago called Green Book. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is well worn territory for us. However, if you are a baby boomer and you want to uh, appear sophisticated by saying, "Oh, I saw a French film recently," I think you really will enjoy The Untouchables. But that's all it's basically for. Mm-hmm. And no, sorry, I'm to be. It's not the 40th greatest movie. <laughs> ever made <laughs> that's not even the thousandth greatest movie ever made <laughs> this movie that list is such bullshit i just love bringing it up because again it's such a massive pile of bullshit <laughs> <laughs> and look forward to uh the upside the coming to theaters this friday yes, yes. The, we were not paid by whoever the hell bought it after the weinstein company well obviously all... not if they paid for this kind of advertising they did not get their money for <laughs> no hell no <laughs> It's whatever. More money in our pockets. Yeah, yeah. Or non-existent money. So, yeah, don't worry, John. It'll come around one day. Okay. <laughs> our next movie will be Clue, in anticipation of the release of Escape Room or something. Oh, that, oh, that would have been a good pairing. Mm. Mm. Maybe, the, maybe the next picture show will do that. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I think we do have some other things we could possibly recommend. Don't you agree, Greg? Absolutely. We do every episode, and so let's let's uh, end as we do every episode, John, with a wonderful spotlight. <laughs> spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Oh, Greg, save your voice. Save mm. your voice. Mm. <laughs> I, I am getting better. Don't worry, okay. people. I'm, I'm okay. Don't worry, all eight listeners. I'll be all right. <laughs> oh, Greg. Greg, no one cares about you. Anyway... <laughs> I finally caught up on a documentary this week, uh, a Hulu original called Too Funny to Fail. Mm, I've never heard of this one. Oh, really? John, exp- exp- expound on this. Yes. Okay. It's it's called Too Funny to Fail. It's about the life and death of the ill-fated Dana Carvey show. 
Ah, the Danny Carvey show I have heard of. Yes. Um, <laughs> a little-known gem mm-hmm. from the, mid, uh, the mid-90s. Um, it basically became a... It's a cast and writing staff was it was a murderer's row of talent. Oh, um, were they ever? Because <laughs> Dana Carvey, fresh off his success on Saturday Night Live, kind of finally mm-hmm. got the opportunity to kind of do something that he wanted to make his own, and he wanted to make his own kind of like Saturday Night Live meets Monty Python sketch show. And the people, you know, he was he was getting lots of bids, he was getting lots of offers, but ABC decided to scoop it up, and you know, mm-hmm. obviously part of the fascination with uh, the fascinating part of this documentary is the fact that of kind of the culture clash about what Dana Carvey kind of wanted to do and also his showrunner uh, the famous Robert Smigel who also wrote for SNL and is also the <laughs> the genius behind uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog absolutely uh, what they wanted to do they wanted to kind of find some young upstarts from Chicago and they wanted to kind of make a you know a less than family friendly sketch show and mm-hmm. the people at ABC John who were these yeah John who were these young upstarts oh this murderous row oh yes. well First, they were looking after this uh, little guy, uh, this, uh, sorry, little guy. They were mm. looking after this young talent by the name of Steve Carell. He was currently oh. working at the uh, Second City Improv Comedy Troupe in Chicago. Um, the night that they went to go see him, though, he unfortunately couldn't make it. So his understudy, Stephen Colbert, was there instead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, they ended up hiring both, and they hired just a crack team of writers. Uh, one by the name of Louis C.K. Uh, let's, let's oh, just... the sex offender comedian. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but also a young uh, writer by the name of John Glazer, and uh, a lot of people who just ended up working for like Adult Swim for like, and that'll give mm-hmm. you some kind of idea of how kind of bizarre the humor ended up being. Um, yeah, Parks and Rec. I mean, their hands are all over current comedy today. Exactly. Uh, another big name, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Carlock, who was a showrunner for Thirty Rock, and then also uh, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yep. And then also Dino Stapatopoulos. Uh, if you don't, if you know anything about you know like Rick and Morty, your Moral Order, or any of that, uh, he's kind of had a lot of fingers in a lot of different Adult Swim shows. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, so John, this all sounds great. <laughs> Yes, and so obviously we have all these huge names in alt comedy, and when did ABC, which by the way was two weeks off getting just bought by Disney, (laughs) they were this huge conglomerate of family entertainment, they decided Mm. the best time to do this show was Tuesday nights at 9.30 right after Home Improvement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It worked out great. Yeah. (laughs) No, it did not. Um, It worked out terribly. The funniest moment in the whole documentary is they show a promo for on a very special episode of Home Improvement, it's like the episode where Randy <laughs> gets like a, might get a terminal diagnosis. Oh but, yeah, I remember that episode. You and I, like, we should explain. You and I love Home Improvement. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so they have this very harrowing, you know, on a very special episode. Yeah, he's in. The, he, I remember the scene. He's in the arcade and like, yeah, I don't want to die. Me I don't have cancer. <laughs> They show the promo, and then, you know, tonight on 9 on Home Improvement, followed by Diet Mug Root Beer presents the Dana Carvey Show. (laughs) (laughs) Because the other thing that made it kind of a huge boondoggle was they had sponsors. Dana Carvey, in reference to kind of the 1950s sketch shows he grew up watching, wanted Mm -hmm. to have different sponsors. So you'd have Taco Bell presents the Dana Carvey Show. Uh, Jiffy Lube presents the Dana Carvey (laughs) Show. He would have these sponsors. So obviously, when the show kind of came out had this very bizarre humor the show opens this is literally the first sketch they did the first mm. sketch is bill clinton breastfeeding he's <laughs> i won't give you the whole context but this is literally the very first sketch that they opened up with can you believe the show only lasted eight episodes what a pity 
I mean, it's just amazing to consider these comedy titans now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one has, you know, Academy Award nominations. The other is, you know, like one of the is the currently the king of late nights. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a very fascinating documentary. It's very funny. It's great to see all these names and where they are now, especially Louis C.K. Whatever happened to him? Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thankfully, Again, Johnny became the sex offender comedian. <laughs> exactly. Thankfully, what's great about him is that they don't actually interview him. They have a lot of archival footage of him, obviously, that they wanted to feature, but you mm-hmm. know, they don't actually. He doesn't give any real piece to camera, which is nice. So now we can distance ourselves and be like, oh yeah, good. Oh, once upon a time, but <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, the the documentary will age gracefully. So if you have Hulu, check it out. All right. <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by Hulu, <laughs> no. but it could be. Hulu. <laughs> yes. Emails are open. Well, John, thank you for that recommendation. Mm-hmm. And now moving on to Greg's Spotlight, sponsored by Netflix. <laughs> Presenting Roma. And the Ballad Available of Buster Scruggs. For your consideration, Roma. <laughs> nominated in all categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so The Untouchables may be, may be a little upset. I mean, it's, it obviously doesn't deserve to be uh, its place on the IMDb Top 250. And, you know, it's just, um, even though it's not a bad film, I mean, obviously it doesn't reach the height of the you know, critical, or excuse me, the commercial success that it's had. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to spotlight a, a film that touches on similar themes um, that is hugely successful and I think everybody should check out. Oh, okay. Yep, it's from Magical Year 1996, mm-hmm. from two magical, fraternal filmmakers just like the Coen brothers, just like the Fairley brothers, just like the Waynes brothers. <laughs> they're out of Belgium, and they're the Dardan brothers. And the movie is called La Promesse. Oh, yes. Yeah, you can't even, yeah you can't even translate it to The Promise in English. It's <laughs> La Promesse. It sounds so good, doesn't it? Oh, those Dardan brothers. Let me guess, mm-hmm. it's just another feel-good movie <laughs> about family and friendship mm-hmm. and the friends we make along the way. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, let's say, in, sh- in sharp relief to the Intouchables, which mostly takes place in this palace in the middle of Paris. So, you know, we we feel comfortable and smooth about the Dardan brothers always make movies about the lower classes in Belgium. Oh, okay. And in this case, we follow a father and son as they traffic immigrants um, into Belgium. This is their this is their uh, way to make a living, essentially, mm-hmm. is to traffic immigrants to basically work odd jobs, um, much like all, uh, other countries in the West, if you can believe it. Um, <laughs> So that's the first psychically satisfying thing. Don't worry, the United States is not the only country with this problem. Okay. Um, the terrible exploitation of uh, people from outside our borders. So, <laughs> um, but where the prom- where the promise part of it comes in is that one of the workers that they traffic in uh, is on a construction site. An accident happened, and he d- and he dies. Mm-hmm. And so um, the young son, played by uh, his name is uh, Jeremy Salnier. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but um, he's he's collaborated with the. Uh, he was only like 13 when they filmed this movie and he's collaborated with the Dardan brothers uh, a bunch following this he goes ahead and meets his the worker's wife and basically tries to get her out of the country and back to back to safe harbor in her mm-hmm. home country um, mm-hmm. now that now that her uh, husband has passed away I can feel the sparks flying already <laughs> <laughs> well that's a, well I mean that's the thing so yeah, obviously there's there's a moral complexity to the story because obviously he doesn't reveal the fate of her husband for one thing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the that's the big shadow looming over their entire relationship. Um, like uh, Driss in the Untouchables, she's got a she's got a vivacity to her as well, um, which obviously he doesn't want to break her spirit by revealing that her husband has since passed. And of course, there's also the father who wants to continue uh, this this terrible operation, but you know he obviously feels guilt about that in addition to what happened to her husband. 
Mm-hmm. So again, just uh, you know, in terms of brilliant filmmaking, like yes, The Untouchables is realistic, but well, come on, we're talking about real realism here. I'm talking <laughs> long takes, bro. I'm talking handheld footage. I'm talking natural lighting. I'm talking ugly, ugly amateur actors without makeup. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not ugly. Actually, Jeremy uh, Salonier is a very handsome man. So, okay. <laughs> now, are we talking like? Are we talking like? 15 minutes of them just puttering around the kitchen, you know, for that sense of realism. I, um, you're not far off. There is one scene where um, I believe she is she is dancing around the apartment, like they're just listening to music, just killing time. So okay, <laughs> that's one of the yeah, that's one of the uh, establishing uh, kind of scenes, or that establishes their relationship a little bit. So got it. That's the only thing I hate about French four movies. It's like oh, it's so slow. Where's <laughs> the action beats? Where's the comedy? Throw a pratfall yeah. in there. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it feels really true to life, and so it's a, it's a very so. That's just code for boring. <laughs> it's not boring. It's only ninety minutes too. So oh, okay. oh perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I can get about my day. Yes. And by the way, I'm just gonna. Uh, I did want to double check to make sure I got his name right. Uh, Jeremy Salonier is actually an American filmmaker uh, behind Green Room and Blue Ruin. Oh. Um, the actual the actual's name is uh, Jeremy Renier. Mm. Okay. <laughs> So another, Jeremy Renier. another filmmaker you like though, Jeremy Renier. Well, you, you, well, I, I thought you liked him, and then you didn't see his latest movie. So how? No, I haven't. <laughs> but anyway, all, again, brilliant movie, uh, nominated for a bunch of awards, uh, rightfully so. Kind of put the Dardan brothers on the map. It's on Criterion now. Hopefully, when their new uh, streaming services launches, it'll be part of it mm-hmm. uh, from day one. I'm, in fact, I'm imploring them to be part of it on day one. Criterion Collection, come on, let's go. Come on, chop chop. Yep, <laughs> and so I encourage everybody to check it out. I'm having trouble finding it on IMDb because the all that's coming up is the promise that Oscar Isaac movie, which came and went like a fart oh, in the yeah. wind. <laughs> <laughs> try uh, try looking up uh, La Promise. So oh, it's, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, nope, still nothing. Eastern Promises, The Mistletoe Promise, Promised Land, A Promise, The Promise, The Promise, The Promise. <laughs> I. To be, come on, <laughs> you're screwing up. You're you're thinking that the the Untouchables is uh, among the greatest movies of all time, and now you can't even f- pull up one of the real greatest movies of all time, <sighs> The Dark Dan Brothers, The Promise. You know what, guys? <laughs> I got bad news. IMDb is canceled. It's over. Okay. <laughs> John, that's T. <laughs> Hashtag cancel IMDb. Hashtag delete IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Get the app off your phone. It's done, guys. It's go done. find go find your movie trivia elsewhere. Yep. <laughs> And you know what? We can get this hashtag trending, Greg. Do you want to know how? How, John? I'm completely computer illiterate. <laughs> well, fortunately, they can go to Twitter, and they can follow the Aspiring Snobs at their Twitter page. And then they mm-hmm. can also go to Facebook and like our Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. Do hashtags work on Facebook? Oh, sure they do. Oh, they I, do. I assume. The hashtags work everywhere. They work on Instagram. Instagram is owned by Facebook. Mm. Facebook owns your life. You can't get away from hashtags. Mm. Hashtags rule you. Fair point, fair point. But, John, I mean, again, I'm completely computer illiterate. I'm just learning about this electronic mail. Mm. I mean, so what can I do with this service? How is it better than the regular mail? (laughs) Well, because it works instantly. As soon as you send that email, whether you're sober or drunk, it it arrives in their inbox instantly. So why Mm. don't you test it out by going, by writing an email to aspiringsnobs at gmail.com with your questions, comments, and recommendations. Yes, and um, again, if you are a baby boomer and you're a little distressed that we insulted your generation and saying your taste is terrible and weak, <laughs> why don't you write back to us along with a, a chain letter about how, <laughs> about how this politician is a Satanist and uh, we'll be going to prison soon. Exactly, it'll be great. It will mm-hmm. be great. God, I love the baby boomers. Mm. We love them, we love them. <laughs> yes. 
Because <laughs> you know what? Who needs? Why do we need Social Security? All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they they took it. They're fine. <laughs> They've earned it more than us. It's, I'll tell you why, John. It's because we're spoiled brats, aren't we? There we go. Oh, you expect to only work forty hours a week <laughs> for pins. <laughs> yes. And back in my day, I get paid way more to do it, do it with a third of the productivity. So <laughs> <laughs> a house cost ten dollars back in the day. Why can't you afford a house? I don't understand. <laughs> I got the same level of education for three bucks. <laughs> What's your problem? I know. Uh, these are other fun things you can share with us when you you email mm-hmm. us direct. But yes. Greg, enough about look thinking about the past. Let's think about the future. Well, is the future include finding us on your podcast service of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts and uh, uh, absolutely, and we're actually yeah, or... we're on Spotify now. You can find us on Spotify. Yes, yes. <laughs> now those clicks will be rolling in. Mm-hmm. Think of all those royalties. I'm plausible dancing to own the baby boomers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not dating this episode at all. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Greg, be careful. That dance was stolen by Fortnite. Who's playing Fortnite, guys? <laughs> Follow our Twitch stream as we Fortnite. Yes, it's going to be on fleek. <laughs> <laughs> it's lit, okay? Yeah. It's as lit as Sluggo. <laughs> yes. But Greg, no, I wanted to bring up the future because I want to know what we're watching next week. John, that's a great question. Once again, we'll be returning to the past, and we can't escape this decade, but it's the 80s. <laughs> mm, hell yeah. <laughs> again, the, the baby boomers' real heyday. <laughs> and so um, we'll be talking about another uh, beloved movie of the boomers, and that's Scarface. <laughs> I don't know if that's a beloved film of the boomers as much as it is, you know, college freshmen everywhere. <laughs> college freshmen, uh, gangster rappers circa 2003. Again, yep. my mind is locked there. So. <laughs> Greg's illness, part of his illness is a time warp. His brain is just stuck in 2003, 2004. Have you seen this website, Something Awful? (laughs) I'm going to check its uh, quality on Snopes. I don't know if it really exists. (laughs) Uh, We have fun. We have fun. Yes, we do. do. (laughs) John, let's wrap up before I die. (laughs) Okay. Rest your voice, Greg. Rest your voice. Indeed, I will. And again, I apologize for the quality of my voice and um, every word of mine reminding you of your mortality. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you should apologize, Greg. How dare you? How dare you get sick? (laughs) You have no one to blame but yourself. Indeed, I do. I was irresponsible. (laughs) I should have saved that money on a new phone and put it towards my health care. There you go. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. (laughs) 